It's great to be with you. It's great to be at the third service where I don't have a deadline. You know, uh, the last time I came to King's Arms, there was about as many people as they're meeting over at the university place now. God has been good to you. Yeah? You know, uh, the, the beginning of it was actually, it was 1986, I think. I was uh, doing a little mini conference connected with Wimber over by Durham. And there, they was they kept having tea breaks, which to, uh, to to Americans it just feels like you guys just like have a tea break every every other sentence. <laughs> and anyway, there was a little clump of university students, you know, over by the biscuits, and uh, and one of them, I'm watching him, and the Lord points out, show kind of focuses my attention on one of them, says that guy's going to plant churches. And I said, then he's going to be my friend. <laughs> and I'm going to try to help him plant churches. And his name was David Stroud. And I met him. I introduced myself to him. And I invited him to come to Chicago and do an internship. And that's what he did. He came to Chicago, did an internship. And then he came back over here, came back home, and started this church. Amen. King's Arms Church. So look what happened. <laughs> And all I just want to say is that university student in the corner, you never know what God can bring out of, out of that, right? That person in the corner, you, you just, you always got to be ready at any moment for what God might do because he does extraordinary things. I'm actually retired now. Yes, I'm retired. Like, I, uh, I led the Evanston Vineyard for 46 years, and I retired officially about two weeks before the pandemic hit. And I thought that was wonderful timing. <laughs> Ted, is, who is my successor, I, we're really great friends. I'm still in the, I still am in the church when I'm home. I told him, God loves me more than he loves you. <laughs> <laughs> because I got to retire before the pandemic. He still has, who knows, 20, 30 years to go. You have to earn it, you know, retirement. But uh, anyway, what retirement means is not the end of ministry. It just means now you only go to the meetings you want to go to. <laughs> Some of you will understand. <laughs> You know, what we yearn for, what we are longing for is the kingdom of God. We want to see God's rule. We want to see God's kingdom here. You know, it's not just about the future. God's kingdom, the kingdom of the future is invading here and now. And we want to see that, you know, so we're, when we're praying for revival, when we're praying for the spirit, for, when we're praying for him to give, bring power, when we're praying for healing, when we're praying for deliverance, we're we're praying and yearning for the, the life of the kingdom, the signs of the kingdom. That's the kingdom of God, you know, where God does things that are glorious, that only God can do. That's what we're yearning for. But my message today is about 
the fact that you can't live the life of the kingdom without going through hardships. You can't get it without going through hardship along the way. Let's turn to Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. This is Paul and Barnabas have been on their first missionary journey. They've made a lot of stops in different cities. They've preached the gospel. They've established the beginnings of some small churches. And then it tells us this, verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. And this is encouragement. How is it encouragement, of course, to go through many hardships? Well, if you're going to go through hardships, it's, it strengthens you. It encourages you if you know ahead of time that that's part of the package. If you don't know that that's the plan, that that's how it goes, it can really throw you. So you need to know what's coming. And that's what we're doing today. I'm trying to like unpack for you the full reality of what you're actually getting into when you walk through these doors. Because, you know, it's, it's not, those are not the doorway to a life of ease, peaceableness, and prosperity. It's the doorway to the kingdom of God with all that's involved glorious things, heavenly things, but it's also the doorway to hardship and suffering and sacrifice. And that's, that's always a part of it. Why, why is that so? Why is it that we must go through hardships to enter into the kingdom? And I'm going to give you four things today, about four reasons why we have to go through hardship. Here's the first one. We got to go through hardship to enter the kingdom because the kingdom we're trying to enter is at war. The kingdom of God is not at peace. It's at war. The kingdom of God is invading this world to take it back from the kingdom of darkness. And that means war, right? Ephesians 6 verse 10, we read, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God. Like, you got to get ready. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, got to keep that clear. Not flesh and blood. The people around us who don't believe, the people who disagree with us, they're not actually the ones we're struggling against. No, no. We are struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And by heavenly realms, he means in the spiritual realm. So not where God is, but right next to us, the spiritual realm. So there's a war on. We're in a war. When, when, you, when, we, when you walk through these doors, you're coming into the war room. <laughs> You know, this or the recruiting hall. This is like the recruiting hall. 
you know, we're, we're bringing you in here, we're charging you up, we're training you up, and then we're sending you off to war. It's a war. And there's an enemy who wants to bring us down. And that's going to be hard. First of all, who's he going to attack? Well, the ones that are going to cost him the most. The ones that are going to mess up his kingdom, right? Who's that? That's us. That's the people who are praying. That's the people who are leading. That's the people who are ministering in prophecy and evangelism and all the different other things that we do. That's us. We're the ones that are the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness. So he's going to attack us. He's going to attack us in our minds. It's one of his favorite things. The devil's schemes. What are his schemes? He tries to attack you in your mind. He wants to get you to give up. He wants to get you to quit. And so he's going to come in and he's going to say stuff to you. Like, you should just quit. It's not working. Those people at that church, they don't really love you. Nobody is listening to you. Nobody wants to hear from you. You can't count on those people. You should just go and do your own thing. Ever heard that? Of course you have. Because the devil tries the same thing. He's not that creative, right? He, he tries the same thing on all of us. You know, we, we were coming over here with John Wimber 35 years ago. We'd pay our own way. Like we put pay our own way because we wanted to see the signs and wonders. We wanted to see the kingdom. And we did. Like we saw the blind see. I remember one one day in Belfast, one of the women from our church, she prayed for this blind guy. By the time she was finished, he folds up his little cane, hands it to her, and says, I guess I won't be needing this anymore. We saw visible miracles. And every single time, over might be 10, 15, 20 different trips, every single time, there'd be one or two people on our team that would find themselves getting attacked by these obsessive thoughts. And they'd go like this. Nobody gets healed when you pray for them. God didn't really empower you for healing. In fact, God doesn't even really like you that much. Those people on that team, they didn't want you on this trip. You shouldn't be in this room. You know, and we'd find them out in the hallway. You know, somebody would finally say, like, where's so-and-so? Where are they? We'd be looking around, like, where the, why? They're out in the hallway hiding. We got visible miracles in the room, and they're in the hallway because the enemy got in their head, gotten them to quit. And it happened every time. So we got to where we, we said, look, if you're going to come with us, you got to make us a promise. Here's the, you got to make a commitment that if you find yourself start thinking these kinds of thoughts, and we'd lay it out, because it's always the same. Demon talk. It's always the same. We'd lay it out. If, this, if you find yourself start thinking this, you must promise us that you will tell somebody. That's it. Just tell somebody. And they'd happen again. 
But this time, they'd tell somebody. And we'd turn, that person would turn around, they'd grab two or three other people, we'd gather right around that person right away, and we'd pray for them for like, I don't know, two, three minutes. And we'd like pop that thing like popping a soap bubble, no harder than that. And it'd be gone. And they'd get back in and people would get healed and they'd see the Lord working, wonderful things that happened. It'd be all over, just like that. You see, we have weapons given to us by the Lord that are more than adequate to overcome in this war. Overcome all the things that Satan throws at us. We've got armor, that's good. But you have to use it. The weapons are no good to you if you don't use them. You've got to use them. And the thing about our weapons is they're made to be used on behalf of each other. So you can't use it for yourself. See? So you find yourself being attacked mentally. You can't fix it yourself. You have to call your friends, your brothers and sisters, and they got to pray for you. And that's how you fix it. Over the years of pastoring, I endured from time to time very strong and intense mental battles. And I'll bet you, you have too. Strong mental battles, like every leader this happens to. And you can look back in history. It always is happening to our strongest leaders. Intense mental battles. You know, all kinds of things of despair and discouragement and, you know, distrust and just crazy things. And you like, you know, it's crazy but you can't stop. But I knew my weapons. And I had a couple people in the church that were praying people. And I'd just call them up or send them a text. And I'd say, I'm getting attacked by the devil today. Can you pray for me for a few minutes? And you know, usually they did it like right away because they're praying people, you know. They do it right away. And in about 10 minutes, the whole thing would be gone. It'd be dissipated like nothing. It'd be like, you know, fog disappearing under the sun in the middle of the sun. It'd be like gone in nothing. Use the weapons. I wonder how many of you have been beaten up by the evil one this week or over this past month with negative thoughts about yourself and about God and about your brothers and sisters. He's been telling you that, you know, you can't do anything. You should give up. You should quit. You should run. Don't let it work. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. Tell somebody. You know, it's not that hard to get rid of it. Sometimes he attacks us in our bodies. You know, all of a sudden, you know, somebody's got this thing that's happening in their body and the doctors can't figure out what it's causing it because, of course, it doesn't have a biological cause, you know. And then we're being attacked by the evil one. Or he attacks our stuff. One time on one of these ministry trips, I call my wife to check up on how everybody's doing. She says, oh, the ceiling in the dust and so room fell down. 
The ceiling fell down. How bizarre is that? For no reason, the ceiling fell down? We got to where we learned to have more people praying around our family and our house before I left home. Because there's a war on. And he plays nasty. If he can't get you into your head, he'll go after your body. If he can't get that to work, he'll go after your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, your mother, your father. Or he'll go after your stuff, your house, your car, your job. It's all part of the war. And that we have to learn to fight. And we fight together, like in any war. The soldier who goes to war by themselves is a dead soldier. You've got to go together. Yeah, we fight together. That's part of the war. You know what? Part of the war is casualties. Wars are messy. In war, you don't win every battle. You're going to lose some battles. I hate losing battles. But I've lost quite a few. I mean, we've won a lot. We've won a lot of battles, but we've also lost a lot of battles. That's, that's the nature of war. We're going to lose some battles, folks. Just because we lost a battle doesn't mean we've lost the war. We know we got the war in the bag. We've seen the end of the book. But there's going to be some lost battles along the way, so you don't, don't like quit just because you lost a battle. And you're going to lose some people. That's tough. People you were close to. We're going to lose. We lose them in various ways. You know. Some of them, the enemy takes out in their mind or in their bodies. Some of them abandon the faith. And they disappear. They go. And they're not with us anymore. And when they've been people you've been were close to, that hurts. That's hard. You know, some of them are leaders that let us down. You know, right now God's judging the church. And what that means is he's exposing all the corrupt leaders. You understand that, right? That's what's happening. Have you noticed that, like there's like a wave of exposures? That's the Lord, people. That's the Lord bringing judgment. Why is he bringing judgment on the church? Because he loves the church and doesn't want to leave that junk in it, right? But you can get demoralized because leaders, you know, some of them turned out to be corrupt. But what did you think you were getting into here? It is a war, people, and in war there are, there are those kinds of things happen, right? In a war, those things happen. I've lost one way or another over the last 30-some years nearly half of the people that were my sort of co-laborers that I started with. Does that mean I give up and quit? No way. Why would I let the devil win easy? No, no, no. When my brother or my sister fall, 
I'm going to try to make the devil pay double. I'm going to try to find a way to kick him in the teeth. I'm going to try to lead five more people to Jesus, or raise up, you know, you know, more leaders for the kingdom, not give up. Because I understand we're in a war. Okay? So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't be dismayed. You know, it's a crazy thing now because with social media and everything, you, you, if any Christian leader does anything wrong anywhere in the world, we all hear about it. You know, in the U.S. alone, they estimate there's something like a million pastoral leaders in churches. And if you think about it, how many have actually misbehaved or been exposed as corrupt, including like all the Catholic priests and all of that mess? Well, it's probably less than 10,000. Well, that leaves 990,000 Christian leaders that haven't messed up, who've been faithfully serving their people, discipling their people, you know, taking care of them. Like, but yet the only thing we can think about are the 10,000 bad ones, because that's what gets publicized. Like, don't get taken in by that people. Don't, don't buy that stuff. That, that's just the enemy, again, just trying to get us to quit. All right? You just know, like, this is a war. These things happen. God's going to take care of it. He's going to, he, if there's judgment needed, God will bring it. Because he loves the church, and he's going he's gonna to get rid of that stuff. But then we got to keep pressing on. We got to keep pressing on. Because it's a war. And that always, it's hard. There's hardships, people get hurt, but we gotta keep going, yeah? All right, second thing. When you're wanting to see the kingdom, what you want is to see the stuff that only God does. The thing is, to really see the stuff that only God does, a lot of times, we got to stop doing the stuff that we do or at least relying on it. You know, you, you can build the church by human effort if you got talented enough people. And you can, you can rely on your smarts and rely on your talent and you can build the church, but you won't see the kingdom. Do you understand the difference? You'll build the church on human effort, but you won't see the kingdom. To see the kingdom, we got to move beyond human effort. Now, I'm not saying we do bad jobs, you know, you, you, you know, or that we don't work hard, but you have to understand that what we're looking for is what God does. Church has to be supernatural. The church has to be something beyond human explanation. If it's going to be beyond human explanation, God has to bring us to the end of our own self-effort. So somewhere along the line, usually earlier rather than later, particularly for those who will be leaders, God brings us to the end of ourselves. And that self is a pretty resilient thing. <laughs> It takes a fair amount of hardship to bring us to the end of ourselves. 
You know, like I was one of those kids. Okay, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. When I was a teenager, I vowed I would never be a pastor. You can see how that worked out. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so I got saved hundreds of times. <laughs> Spoke in tongues when I was 11, and we were starting to get worried, you know, it was taking so long. Like, what? Most of my friends started when they were seven or eight. You know, in Pentecostal church, commitment means you go to church three times a week, not three times a month. Can I hear an amen? I'm sure some of you have been in the Pentecostal church, right? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. It was a good upbringing. My parents loved each other. They stayed together. You know, we lived in church, basically, but not a bad place to live. It was good, and I succeeded everything I did. I, did. I was at the top of my class in school. I went to university. When I got there, there were two other believers. When I finished, we had 10% of the student body in our Christian fellowship group. It was Jesus movement days. Like, we saw hundreds of people. Like, it was like, it was so easy. You pull out a guitar, you play some simple scriptural song. I mean, the music was terrible, actually. But we just sang, it was because it was with guitars and not organs, that was radical. And so, well, you pull out a guitar, you strum it a little bit, and people give their lives to Jesus. That's how it was then. Used to be like, if you wanted to start something, you just make a little sign for your garden, for your front garden. It says, Bible study, Thursday night at 7, and hundreds of people would turn up. It was like that. Never, you know, accidentally started a church when I was still at uni because a car broke down. And then moved to Chicago and started another church. The church I led for 46 years. I had succeeded at everything I'd ever done. So then we said, we need to go start another kind of site of our church in another place. And my wife and I decided, we'll, we'll go and get it going. So we moved down there, tried to get it going. We thought, we'll just pull out the guitars. You know, we'll have our small groups. People will come to Jesus and we'll go. Except nobody came. Nobody got saved. And it felt like God went that way and I went that way. I'd never felt that before in my life. Like, I'd never known anything but the presence of the Lord. I'd never felt that before. Nothing worked. Pretty soon, every day, it felt like I was failing. Because I was failing. All the things I knew to do, I did. Nothing worked. Nothing. I fell into depression. I didn't even know what depression was. But I was depressed. If I knew what I knew now, I'd send myself to the, you know, to the doctor, get some meds. Because I was not functioning, really. I, was, I couldn't get out of bed many days. I could hardly pray. I had to write my prayers. Some days I'd write to write help in my prayer journal, because that's all I could do. I tried threatening God. God, if you don't get me out of this situation by thus and so date, I'm leaving. I'm quitting. I found out that God is very secure. <laughs> My dates came and went. 
and I was still there, and he hadn't changed anything. Finally, I decided, that's it. We're going to close this thing and go back to the mothership. And I set the meeting, told the, invited the team, like, we're all going to come together. I got my little speech ready to say we're closing. We're going to just go back. We're going to close this thing. The day before, and I mean the day before that meeting, a guy named George gave his life to Jesus. And I was so angry. Like, how can you give your life to Jesus today? I almost was out of here. Now I can't even leave. We got to stay and disciple this guy. I, I can't make this church go. I can't even close this church. Like, we, we couldn't quit because we got George now. So I'm like, it's like I can't do anything. You see, what I didn't realize, I thought the church was the project, but it turned out I was the project. And the project was, we got to get this guy to the end of himself so that what only God can do can happen, you see. After three and a half years, then there was an encounter with God. And things started happening. I mean, incredible things. What I've seen in the last 35, 38 years, you wouldn't believe some of it, actually. Some of it's just beyond even telling because it's just so fantastical. You just think people just got to think you're making it up. I've seen so many healings, I can't even count them all. We've seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the, blind, the lame walk. We even had a, what I call a near resurrection. The guy was brain dead. But they hadn't stopped the breathing yet because the family was still in the room. <laughs> but God raised the guy up. Young man, 20 years old, hit by a train as a pedestrian. I mean, it was, it was bad, yeah? A month later, he walked into our building, walking and talking. All right? We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it over and over. But before any of that could happen, I had to come to the end of my song. Some of you, God's called you. He's given you visions, dreams of what he can do. You're praying for God to do, you know, um, things beyond human explanation. Just know that path to where, where you want to go goes right through the place where you come to the end of yourself. And God has different ways of getting you there. It's custom designed for each person. But he's got to get you there. When I finally came out on the other side, I asked God, you know, I, I found myself still feeling weak. I, even to this day, I feel weak. That there's a vulnerability that never goes away. It feels like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not strong. And I, at one point early on, I said, God, when am I going to feel strong again? And he said, you're not. Why? 
So it's because if you felt strong again, you'd start relying on yourself again. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. See? Because it's got to be his power, what? In our weakness. So he's got to get you there, and that's hard. That's hardship. That's what gets us there. So that's the second thing. Third thing. Hardship of the kingdom. You know, in the kingdom, what we want to see is we want to see people respond. We want to see people's lives change. We want to see people become all that God has made them for. And we preach the gospel, and we disciple, and we pray for them, and we talk to them, and we listen to them, and we study with them, and we preach to them so that they can do, so that that can happen. But the problem is, it doesn't work with all of them. Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. A sower goes out to sow seed. But some of the seed falls on good ground and produces a harvest of many fold, starts this chain of, of reproduction that's incredible, but some of the seed falls on bad ground. In fact, he names three different kinds of bad ground. It's almost like he's saying, well, about 25% of it's going to work and the other 75% isn't. Not everybody's going to respond. And some of the people we thought were going to respond, in the end, don't. There's going to be disappointment in the life of the kingdom. And Jesus is getting us ready for it. And then he like throws out another parable. The kingdom of God is like a guy who plants wheat in his field. But in the middle of the night... An enemy comes and plants weeds in the field. And they grow up. And of course, in the beginning, the weeds and the wheat, they look just alike. You can't tell which one is which. And by the time you realize you got weeds, they're all entangled with the wheat. So you have to let it all grow up and let God sort it out at the end. Is the parable. And what happens? You get in the church. You've planted your seeds. But they don't all live like Christians. In fact, a lot of them aren't, they're not even believers. Like they're, and it turns out there's weeds in the church. But what are you going to do? You're going to give up? Well, then the enemy wins, right? You're going to give up? You have to, you, there are going to be disappointments. You're going to get hurt. Like the last time I checked, these meetings are not gatherings of angels. They're not gatherings of angels. You know, like when I was 20, I went to this one meeting and the, met this guy who was leading this meeting with some of my friends. And he looked at me. He, he must have had like a prophetic word. I don't know. He looks at me straight on. We hadn't, hadn't even really talked. He says, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're looking for the perfect church. And the problem is, if you ever found one, you'd probably join it and ruin it. <laughs> Best rebuke I ever got. 
the best rebuke I ever got because it made me realize, like, okay, it's, every church is going to be imperfect. Like, you know, oh, there's going to be selfish people in the church sometimes. People in the church can be deceived by the evil one to do some really nasty things to each other. He comes and plants weeds, you know. That doesn't mean that there isn't wheat there. I spent 40 years trying to sort of get better at the leaders I trained up. Because, you know, you're, you're trying to train up leaders, and some of them are turned out, and some of them don't. So I thought, well, maybe if I, like, get better at assessing them, you know, and having more stringent qualifications for leadership, I can get rid of the disappointment. Well, after 40 years, my conclusion was, they all look alike at the beginning. And there's no, you can't, there's no assessment that ultimately works. That you just, you're just going to have to deal with the disappointment. There's just going to be disappointment. Like, there's great surprises. <laughs> you know, we had this period where we had like, ah, oh, I don't know, 40 incredibly gifted leadership people in our church all at once. Just a whole clump of young 20-something leaders, very talented people. And we just thought, we're going to shake the world with this thing. But about half of them ended up just spinning out along the way in different ways or doing something else. You know, disappointment. But the, the other others of them turned out in ways beyond our wildest imagination. There's one guy, never said anything, sat in the corner, never said a word, never put himself forward, never kind of, you know, made a thing. He was kind of always in the corner. We ended up sending that guy to Belfast, where, he's, where he basically built a big vineyard church and planted out like dozens of other churches and has all kinds of leaders going. He's ended up on the national board of Vineyard UK in Ireland. and has become one of our most productive leaders. The quiet guy in the corner. Who knew? Not me. So what's my conclusion? I just got to keep planting seed. I just got to keep planting seed. And I can't let the disappointments stop me. Okay? That's part of the hardship of the kingdom. Five minutes, he says. All right? We're getting close. Here's the last point. I was planning to go overtime on this service. Oh, the kids. You have kids? How about that? Yes, that is a big issue in church life. All right. To really achieve the fullness of the kingdom, sometimes you got to go through the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. I mean, that's glorious. Like, you got it all. You got the spirit coming, the voice from heaven, the light. It's, 
Amazing. And then it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And if you read the story of it, you'll see in the wilderness, the only voice he heard was the voice of the devil. And the issue was, would he be faithful to what he had heard from God at the River Jordan? And would he be faithful to the word of God in the scripture? Would he hang on to those and be faithful to them when all he could hear was the devil? Never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. Never down in the darkness what you see in the light. But if you're going to go into the kingdom, God's, the Spirit of God will lead you through the wilderness. And there will be a period of time where you do not hear God. God will be silent. And you will have to simply be faithful. But on the other side, what it says in the scripture is, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit on the other side of the wilderness. About 12 years ago, when I was about 60, all of a sudden, one day, God went silent. And for three years, I heard nothing. No prophetic words, no words, no nothing. Nothing personal, nothing in prayer, nothing. Complete and total silence from the Lord. The devil was plenty talkative. Okay? Devil's plenty talkative. He's going like usual. But God went completely silent. And for three years, I led my church based on what I already knew. That was all we had. Led on what we already knew and had to be faithful to what we had. I knew it was wilderness. I understood what was going on. It was from God. It was from the hand of God. It was... The devil did not arrange this. The Spirit of God arranged this. It was from God, but I wasn't hearing from him. And I knew that I just had to wait. I didn't know how long, but I knew I had to wait and be faithful, and that eventually we'd come out on the other side. When I came out on the other side three years later, and God began to speak again, I had... I began experiencing power like I'd never experienced before. I had like a whole new spiritual gift. That's in my 60s. Okay? So you who are like, say, over 40, you're not limited to what you got now. God can still do more things through you. He can still give you new gifts. He can still open up new ministry. You, he's got more for you. If he's left you here on this earth, he's got more for you. Okay, okay, so just know that. I mean, it was so amazing. Like, I was confused, actually. Like, I don't know, I don't know what this is. But had to go through the wilderness to get there. Some of you, the, more, the higher the call, the higher the call, the more you aspire to see the, the fullness of the kingdom in your life and ministry, the more likely it is you're going to go through the wilderness. Some of you might be in the wilderness right now. And if you are, just know, know it's from the Lord. He has not abandoned you. He has great plans still for you. He's just making you be faithful right now. 
because he wants you to prove your faithfulness before he gives you the weight of more power. Let's stand. Now, some of you, and we talked, I mentioned this earlier, some of you have been getting beat up by the devil in your own mind and in your own house, in your own body, recently. And you recognize that as we talk today. We don't, we, we want to stop that here and now, right? Don't we? Yeah. We want to stop that. So if that's you, you got first step, you got to tell somebody. So let's tell each other. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if that's you. You've been, the, he, he goes after us all at some point or other. If this is your turn, the devil's been, now let's look around. See the hands. See how many of them are. It's not just you. <laughs> it's not just you. And of course, if you don't have your hand up, that means you need to find somebody with their hand up and pray for them as we finish up here. All right, Lord God, would you release your power now on all these people with their hands in the air? Would you release their power? Break the power of these lies. Break the power of the lies that have been coming against them. Break the power of the self-doubting. Break the power of the fear that the enemies tried to put in their minds. Break the power of those things right now as they're standing here before you right now. Break the power of that fear. Set them free, Jesus. Bring them back together. Strengthen them and give them courage to fight this battle. Take, make the devil pay. Amen.